Welcome to The Family Room, sponsored by Versprite, where we offer hope, encouragement, and wisdom centered on biblical truth and Catholic teaching, because God's kingdom begins at home. Now welcome your hosts, Mari, John, and Craig, right here on AM 1160, The Quest, your Atlanta Catholic Radio. It's Craig Wiesmeyer, and I'm here with my co-host, Mari Cleveland. How are you, Craig? I'm great, other than a little sad. Our buddy John's not here. He was yes. not able to make it, so... Uh, prayers. I know he's praying for us in the show. Yep, he's all good. He's just busy with some other work things. That's right. It's okay. That's right. Yeah. Um, you know, we always talk about being excited about our guests, and um, I'm particularly excited uh, because we've got Peter Herbeck in uh, studio today, and uh, he's written a book with his wife, Debbie, called Lessons from the School of Love, Cultivating a Christ-Centered Marriage. And um, what I love is it's a very practical book. Mm-hmm. It's a very honest book. Mm-hmm. And it's also a guide. You know, there's there's a, a questionnaires at the end of it. They are very practical, which I think our, our folks love. So what do you think about the whole idea of, you know, lessons from the school of love? So I, too, really appreciate the practicality of it. I appreciate the fact that Peter and Debbie, in addition to have been in ministry for many, many years, they also are parents and grandparents. So it is very real. It's very honest. It's very, not only practical, but very personal. So I think that that's incredibly helpful. So the stories that they both tell, and then like you said, the questions at the back of the book so that couples then can go in and answer those questions and start to tell their own stories, but especially the part about Christ-centered marriage. And I'm excited for for Peter to break open that for us today. I am as well. Yeah. So before we bring Peter in, though, um, Mari, since John, who is our official prayer, is not here, would you bring us in (laughs) in prayer, please? I'd be glad to. Okay. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we praise you. We praise you as our Heavenly Father. We praise you as our Abba Father, our Daddy, um, the one who uh, first loved us so that we can love. And so, Lord, as we talk about marriage today, as we talk about family life, as we talk about cultivating um, a marriage that is centered with your son in the very center of it, centered on your son, Lord, we just ask that hearts would be open, that hearts would be pricked, that there would be words and stories that would give hope and encouragement to those who are in marriages. For those who do have Christ at the center, that they would find additional ways to continue on that wonderful journey. For those for whom they struggle with that, that they might find steps towards you. Um, in beautiful new ways, and that there is hope that is offered. Thank you, Lord, for the gifts and the, the time and the gracious offering of all of their ministry and all of their life of both um, Peter and Debbie, and we ask you to protect them and uh, bless them and their family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. In the name of your Father, Father the Son, Son, Holy, Holy Spirit, Spirit. Amen. amen. Folks, like I said, we've got Peter Herbeck here, who's Executive Vice President and Director of Missions at Renewal Ministries. Um, And for more than 30 years, he's been involved in evangelization and Catholic renewal around, frankly, the whole world. Uh, Real blessing to all of us in the Catholic world. He's also a host with uh, Choices We Face. He is also host of a daily radio show, Fire on the Earth. He speaks at conferences. I mean, the litany of things that Peter has done is pretty incredible, and he's out there helping uh, save souls for Christ on a daily basis. And what I love, Mari, about Peter is the fact that he's very direct. He talks about the truth, but he always gives us um, hope and he always gives us, you know, the joy in who Christ brings us. Finally, uh, maybe more importantly than all that, is uh, Peter and Debbie are the um, parents of four children and I believe 11 grandchildren. So without further ado... 
Peter, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's uh, great to be here. It's an honor. Appreciate it. We are very glad to have you. Um, and we're sorry that Debbie couldn't be with us. We know she's off in ministry, ministering to other groups of people, yeah. which is absolutely wonderful how you guys continue to share your talents. So you guys have been married 37 years, so you've mm-hmm. had a lot of experience. But at the very beginning, so we always take our listeners back both to the beginning either of their marriages or their faith journeys or things like that. But we'd love to hear, first of all, because you talk about that this is cultivating a Christ-centered marriage, but you and Debbie actually talk about the fact that you started with different faith origins. I guess before you got married, you both were had different faith origins. Would you tell us a little bit about the, the different differing faith backgrounds that you guys had? Yeah, just cultural backgrounds, too. You know, I'm a German boy from a small little farming town in southern Minnesota, Lutheran and Catholic. Lutherans lived on the south side. The Catholics lived on the north side of town. (laughs) Just the old way things were done, you know. I grew up, you know, in the shadow of the cathedral parish there, blocked from the elementary school, went, you know, went to the elementary Catholic high schools there. Debbie's a big city girl. She's from Chicago, Uh, grew up on the north shore of Chicago in the Golden Mile there, and she's a Jewish girl. Her her maiden name is Rosenstein, so she was born and raised in a very, very intense Jewish community. Mm. Um, Her family was, you know, conservative, you'd call it, not like ultra-Orthodox or Reformed. Her whole awareness of the whole world was a, a Jewish optic of life and culture and knew very little about Jesus, about Uh, It's surprising, you know, but anyway, we met at the University of Michigan in 1982. We met a long time ago, and she was uh, in grad school at the University of Michigan. She finished her undergrad, and she was working uh, as well for an organization, a campus outreach called University Christian Outreach, a little bit like Focus is today, Mm -hmm. the Fellowship of Catholic University Students. And then I came from Minnesota. I went to the University of St. Thomas and went to seminary for a while. I was discerning you know, priesthood is a possibility. So I moved out to Ann Arbor and uh, I was just, wasn't ready to move on because the decisions hadn't been fully made, but I wanted to be engaged in service. So it was like a gap year kind of idea. Uh-huh. So that's where we met. We met at that ministry. So I mean, our, and our backgrounds couldn't have been, uh, it couldn't have been more different really uh, in certain ways. But she, before I had met Debbie, she had already come to really believe in Jesus as the Messiah. You know, she's, mm-hmm. she saw herself as a a completed Jew, yeah, you know, a, yeah. a person that Jesus is indeed the, the Messiah sent by the Father, and uh, was practicing her faith at the time. She wasn't Catholic at the time. There was a Messianic Jewish congregation that was in Ann Arbor, other, a small number of other Jewish people who had come to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. And they would meet on a weekly basis. She was baptized, um, but then as we got to know each other, we worked together. I was just super impressed with her. And, and Debbie was the only person I had ever met an American that I'd ever met that actually like really had to suffer for her decision to be a follower of Jesus. Mm. You know, I mean, for, you know, for most of us, like for me, it's like once I I got converted in later high school, I I really came to know the Lord through a miraculous way in which the Lord worked to bring healing to my family. Big conversions happened in my family. Um, But any step I made after that spiritually, you get applauded basically. Hey, you're a good boy. You're on the right track. Finally, you got your head out of you know, got your head in the right place, you know, and and you do service and people would reward it. Oh, you're thinking of the seminary. That's amazing. You know, you got a lot of positive vibe all the way along. But when Debbie, when Debbie told her parents, you know, after coming home from, you know, as a student, she wasn't like pursuing it, but she met some young Christian women uh, she was took a class in great books, and one of the books they had to read was Romans. Oh wow! You know, yeah, at the University of Michigan. How about that? You know, <laughs> yeah, really. she never, and her parents, yeah. 
her parents, you know, her grandparents were like her grandmother was the was the president of Hadassah in Chicago, oh, which wow. is a big Jewish organization. Yeah. You know, when I got to know her family on the wall are pictures of her grandpa with uh, Itzhak Rabin. Wow. And, you know, they were very strong Zionists. They helped raise a lot of money with Golda Meir when they came to, she came to Chicago back Jewish. in the day. That's when amazing. Israel. Yeah, so, so you're talking about really different backgrounds, you know, in different, in different ways. And so her identity was so strong, but when she was, she, when she first read that book of Romans, she said, wait a minute, these are like all Jewish people. Mm. Nobody told me that. You know what I mean? It's like she's trying to figure it out. And as strange as it seems, living in America with education, you can. Uh, her world was just not connected. And, and she, she, she was raised with Christianity is a Gentile thing, and the Catholic Church is a Gentile thing. We have a bad history with them. Don't even think about it. Don't even go there. <laughs> yeah. You know? And uh, so she knew very little. But she eventually, long story, fell in love with Jesus. And, and really, she, you know, the Bible says Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. Honestly, all the Jewish people I've met who come to know Jesus, and I've met a lot of them over the years, every one of them has some moment where the Lord had mercy on them and gave them a, a, a profound encounter of his presence that really was a healing or a deliverance or some kind of vision, dream, whatever. And that's what Debbie ended up having was like just a tremendous dream and experience of the Lord's presence that caught her, caused her to get over the hump. But her parents, you know, begged her, don't you dare, you mm. know, please don't ever ch- convert, you know? Yeah. And, and, and she was like, I don't, I don't, I'm not planning on converting. You know, I love my heritage, but I just have to keep following this. And then at one point they hired private investigators to come to Ann Arbor to see who was, who was impacting her, their little girl. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it was a great threat to them. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, you just, and I was, as I got to know her, I thought, wow, you took some serious hits for uh, saying yes to Jesus. It cost her something. Mm-hmm. I mean, really cost her something. And it, real struggles there for some of her family members for years that she had to kind of live through. And uh, so I, I just had tremendous admiration for her. And uh, so when we started, we after a few years of knowing each other, we did, I discerned out of the kind of track of the potential priesthood thing. And, um, and then we started, we started dating and, uh, you know, we ended up getting married here in Ann Arbor, um, and our, our wedding, I don't know if this is too much, you want me to talk about something else at this point? But hey, you know, our anyway. listeners love these stories, you're great. <laughs> okay, so the culmination of the kind of your question was, you know, we're getting, I asked her father for, you know, her hand, you know, for her hand in marriage, and the poor guy, and looked at him, and thought, not only is this guy a Gentile, he's he's not, he could, at least he could be a banker or a lawyer or something, or a professor, you know what I mean? But he's a preacher. You know, I don't even know how to tell my friends about a guy like this, you know what I mean? Like, what is going on? Like, his worst nightmare, the poor guy, you know? And he was a successful businessman, and he was gracious. And But when he said yes, when we got home, after coming back to Ann Arbor from Chicago, when their family called and said, you know, we're not coming to the wedding unless you get, if you get married in a Catholic church, Mm. And uh, if there's no rabbi there, we're not coming, you know. And I was like, so that gives you a sense of how different our backgrounds were. Yeah. You know? And so I said, hey, look, I told our pastor, my good friend, Monsignor, uh, uh, Monsignor Frank, I said, brother, I, I'll marry this girl on the moon. I don't care. I just want to I just want a valid marriage. And, if, you know, if we the Catholics are supposed to get married in a church. He goes, let's go talk to the bishop. So the bishop said, hey, don't blow up any bridges. Get married, just make sure Father Frank is there. 
get married in whatever venue works. So we ended up getting married in the Ann Arbor Inn, you uh-huh. know, under the hoofa canopy and did the whole thing. We had a rabbi and a priest together underneath the canopy. And Deb's dad, poor dad, was standing up there. Man, he was sweating. We had 300 people and 150 Jewish people on one side and all the Gentiles from Ann Arbor on the other side. It was like the Red Sea. So, not completely, but it was, it was just, uh, you know, it was, quite, it was quite a day and quite a moment. And I'm just really, really grateful for it. And then over time, when the grandkids come, then you have a bridge, mm. you know, because Debbie's, Debbie's parents, you know, Jake and Carol just loved, loved us. But just love the grandchildren so much. So when the grandchildren come into picture, you got plenty of things to talk about it. You have a common love together, and so that was very helpful. That's anyway, it was probably longer of an answer than oh, you wanted. Oh, but it's so beautiful. Okay, so That's there's story. Sorry about that. No, no it's beautiful. Right. Okay, there's so many things though I want to speak into that real quick. First of all, when you were talking about the Red Sea, I actually visualized. Okay, you and Debbie were going through that miracle of the parting of the Red Sea to the Promised Land, right there, right there under the chuppah, you know, and your yeah. future Promised yeah. Land where you will be fruitful and multiply, right there. Um, yeah. But then the other thing is how beautiful that God gave Debbie such beautiful consolation. You know, he had to give her something so profound for her to be able to um, lean on, right, and rely on yeah. when she yeah. was going through Help some her. of the persecution or the desolation that she might have been going through during that. You know, the rest of us, ha- as you said, we have it pretty easy. We're applauded. Oftentimes we're applauded for our faith. It's getting a little harder. Um, yeah. Yeah. And raising yeah. kids in, in the world right now, it is definitely getting harder. One quick thing. I do want to mention that you, you said that she read Romans in her class. I love the book of Romans. I think it's fascinating. And I have heard that because of the way Paul writes Romans, that even in a lot of law schools, they'll have people, they'll have them read Romans because of the way he sets up his arguments. And so often, yeah. yeah, so oftentimes we say, oh, if you want somebody to convert, have them read the book of John. But the book of Romans is pretty fa- powerful. So that's pretty yeah. cool that, that God used that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, struck well, there's me. that beautiful section at the end of your Romans 11, where Paul talks about the destiny yeah. of the Jewish people yes. in relationship. And he helps us understand what God's ultimate plan is for them and, and the role of the Gentiles and all that but anyway, it's, it's quite, quite inspiring. Hard to understand sometimes, Paul, but other than that. <laughs> yeah. He rambles sometimes. <laughs> he doesn't, I, yeah, doesn't use many comp- no, periods. <laughs> exactly. But what I also loved about it is I think it's a testimony to how when we do suffer for our faith, it does impact people more so than, like you said, it's like, well, you've been Catholic. You grew up in, I grew up in Ohio, right? Catholic church in every corner. You know, that's what you're expected yeah. to do. But when we have to struggle a little mm-hmm. bit for the faith or make that tough decision for the faith, somebody's going to see that. So thank God it was you, and you ended up marrying that yeah. lovely lady. Yeah, no, it's, I know. It's, um, it's been totally enriching for our lives because, you know, we raise the kids with a Messianic Jewish understanding of their own identity. Yeah. And so we celebrated Passover. We celebrated the High Holy Days in a way that Jesus is the fulfillment of all those. In yeah. reality, that's a fact. All those things point toward his coming and his ultimate fulfillment. So it was a wonderful way to kind of um, blend their identity. We, you know, my kids, you know, the, 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 the Jewish, the bloodline runs through the mother, right. you know, the Jewish community. And so 
I remember one day one of my kids, one of my boys just before we're starting Passover, it's a great celebration. She goes, Dad, isn't it a bummer you're the only Gentile in the family? (laughs) (laughs) But I'm grafted in, but I'm grafted in. I've been grafted in. That's great. That's great. So, So, listeners, if you are just joining us, we are here in the family room with Peter Herbeck, and we are hearing a beautiful, um, uh, entertaining stories about his his marriage and and his life leading to this point, where he and his wife Debbie have written a book called Lessons from the School of Love: Cultivating a Christ Centered Marriage. So with that, Craig, no, I think that, you, yeah, kick us that, off into the book. I was going to say, that's a great segue into looking at the book. But, you know, one thing, Peter, I wanted to uh, bring up was you start your introduction off by telling people there's nothing in this book that's going to change your uh, marriage. It's almost like a warning, right? That's going to change your marriage. Explain why you said that. Well, because, you know, what the, fundamentally the thing we had to share two weak and broken people like Debbie and I is is the real awareness and experience that the key is to live in your marriage with the Lord Mm. and the Lord's the center of it and engaging it and and the Christian marriage it's it marriage is a natural thing but Christian marriage is a supernatural thing Mm -hmm. you know that we're not that there's a third person in the marriage and the key to it all is to be living with him individually and together, you know? And so it's not a matter of, hey, just get a couple of good lessons, because good lessons can certainly help us for sure. sure. You know what I mean? It's worth it. People taught us things that were very, very helpful that are in the book. But, you know, you might say the secret sauce and the hope for marriage in any and all circumstances. You know, we, Debbie and I, not only do we have different backgrounds, but we also have different dysfunctional backgrounds. You know, mm-hmm. we brought weaknesses and brokenness into our marriage with all the strengths and the rest of it, say, and so we can look back and say, wow, look what the Lord did. And I'm so thankful that we had some mentors and some friends and say, this is the key. Living under the Lordship of Jesus together, living to please him together. Yeah. It will help you if you do that, you know, and there's practice. So I'd say that to me, that's the heart of it, you know. So it's not like, let's find the key. Let's find that, let's find that practical thing you do that's going to kind of change the game. Well, the foundation has to be there and living from him and that grace and the promises of the sacrament. And a lot of Catholics, you know, God bless them. They never, they never really engage that reality. They, they, it's mm-hmm. never, That's it's true. never a thing that they actually understand or believe or are led into in a way that it, it becomes a reality that emerges. And they actually do discover over time, you know, a, a new power and a new capacity to live a different way of life and to get through things that are really tough, you know, and living with him, so anyway, I think that's the heart of it. No, yeah. that, 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 no pun intended. That is the heart of it, right? Right. right. And I don't think we yeah. do learn, Peter. I mean, I think that when we yeah. get married, nobody talks about the real graces of that sacrament. Nobody talks mm-hmm. about you're not going to make this unless it is that Trinitarian love like you describe. Yeah. Um, yeah. So thanks for unpacking that. I mean, and you do it so articulately. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. You know, and I think that I love how you described Christian marriage is a supernatural thing. It's it's above you. It's not just from you. I know that my husband and I once early in our, our marriage got into a debate with another couple about the fact that love is a decision, you know, and they're like, oh, no, love is a feeling. Or like, uh, no, <laughs> it's a decision yeah. and you have to make that decision every day. But to your point, you also have to make the decision to step into fully into the sacrament of marriage and allow the Holy Spirit to do the work. Mm-hmm. Because as you just said, there's power and, and capacity and capability only through 
that. And you did, speaking to what Craig said, you gave such practical thoughts for us. You and Debbie were very intentional about how to help each other make sure you were well-seated and um, well-focused on keeping Christ as the center. Can you share just a few examples of how you did that for each other? Yeah, yeah. And so I think one thing we were very much blessed by was the fact that we were both converted before we got married. Yeah. Now that, that matters a fair amount, right? I mean, so when I say that, I was thinking of like the shape John Paul II in his document, Redemptorus Missio, talks about, you know, the beginning of the journey is Christian conversion. And then he says, okay, well, what is Christian conversion then? He said, it's um, a, a, a faith that from the outset is total and radical, a desire that he doesn't mean you're perfected from the outset, but you have an intention. There's a total radical turning. I want to follow that man. I, I, I love Christ. I want to live the life, the way of life that he wants to lead me in. That's my passion. I stumble. I fall. I have to repent. I got to get help. I got to get encouragement along the way, just like anybody else. But when that fundamental decision is made, that is a difference maker. And, and so like uh, St. Paul says at one point, you know, um, knowing Christ, he said, now I make it my aim to please the Lord. Mm-hmm. It simplifies a lot, you yeah. know? And so yeah. Debbie had made that decision in her life. I had made it in my life. So we had, so we came together. Already. So that was a big help. So we could say, we both had learned how to develop a daily prayer time engage, you know, uh, engage the sacramental life. I mean, I did in particular that she came into it. Um, and we understood how important personal prayer was and corporate prayer and things like that, that living, the abiding in the Lord peace, you mm-hmm. know? And so um, we said, okay, so we got married and we we're able to do it pretty easily when we, we didn't have any kids yet, you know, so we had freedom to do it. And so we actually would pray, have time alone mm-hmm. to pray. And also, cause we're different, different the way we pray things, we, but also time together, we would pray. And then when the kids started coming, that changes your clock. It, it demands you know your time in different ways. I'm an early riser. Debbie's not by nature an early riser. She's up later. And so what it, where it worked for me to get up, uh, I'd be up at 6 a.m. praying in the morning, 6 to 7. And then as the kids got up, I would help with the kids you know, at, at that point. And then she would do what she needed to do. And then she would have her own prayer time. It just it shifted during the day. But we made this commitment. I will do, Debbie whatever is needed to help you each day have time with the Lord. That's beautiful. Because it's critical for our friendship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's critical for all the elements we're trying to live out together for her to come from a place of grace and th- strength and know she's a daughter of God and that she gets that and me the same way. So I'm not, she often says this. she goes, I, the Lord told her at one point, she goes, you know, uh, you know, I know you love Peter. I love him too. I made him. He's a good guy, but he is not going to be able to fulfill everything yeah. you need. Yeah. And it's so easy for people to think that. Mm-hmm. And so then you just, you know, you, you, it's great for a little while. And then it's like, oh man, I don't, the vibe's not there. Or this person's not quite what I thought this person was going to be in the way I want them to be, you know, things like that. That's just so normal. And that's when people back away, and that's really when the school starts. That's the point of the, the title, Lessons from the School of Love, and where it came from. I could share that at some point. It was super helpful. But anyway, so that's, that was the commitment we have to, to helping each other pray. And, and it, the commitment was steady, 
but it changed with the responsibilities of schedule and life and children and all that. And we were both very much committed to that. So that was the foundation, I think. That's great. That's great. And when John and I got together, we talked about bringing your business practices into your faith life because, you know, in business, you're going to hit goals. You're going to be really steady. Yeah. And the other thing I liked that you talked about was you and Debbie had a meeting and I don't know if it was weekly. I don't remember or monthly. And you were like, look, nobody needs more meetings. It wasn't date night, but it was a check-in with each other. Can you talk about that? Cause it's very practical. Yeah, I think, I think when it, you know, when we started having more kids, and they get a little bit older and life gets more complex and you feel like you're, you're, you're both going in different directions all the time. And, you know, one of the things that can be really challenging for marriage is lack of communication, mm-hmm. you know? And so one of the things we noticed was uh, we weren't connecting in the way, not just emotionally, but just practically to make life a little simpler, being each other's corner, helping each other a little bit better along the way. So a friend of mine, a guy who was kind of mentoring me at the time, Randy Cerner, he said, you know, you guys ought to have a, let me recommend to you a, a weekly husband and wife meeting. And I'm like, what? So like I said, <laughs> you know, like, uh, you mean a date night? I mean, you know, and he goes, no, no, do the date night stuff. But, you know, no, you ought to do this. Just cover some key things and um, set aside some time. So we did that. So uh, we, we, for a while, we were doing it every week and then we went to twice a month. But here's what we essentially would do. Number one thing we would say is, okay, it would give us concrete time. Debbie would know. I would know, but um, this is going to be one of the things we're going to talk about is how you doing, honey. Mm-hmm. You know, really, how are you doing? How's life going? What's working? What's not working? All the noise is out of the way. We'd get a babysitter if we need to, but we're going to do this. Sometimes we go to the, there's a hotel to, you know, five blocks from our house that had a really nice, quiet sitting area, and it wasn't a very popular hotel, so hardly anybody was ever there. So we'd, go, <laughs> we'd go sit up there on the couch and, you know, get a, get a drink, and then we would just talk to each other, you know. And, um, and so that was, a, that was a way to, to really care for each other more mm-hmm. and be on the same page. How is our relationship going? What, what is it? What do I need to repent of this week? You know, <laughs> but you know, so so that was one thing. Second thing was how are each of the children doing one at a time? How's Sarah? You know, how's Michael? How's Joshua? How's Rachel? What do they need? What are they struggling with? And you know how it changes. Mm-hmm. You know, through life and the demands and the needs of one child might be really intense for a period of time. So we'd say, okay, how are we? You know, how are we doing? Are we? Um, what do we need to do? I remember one time with one of our kids, Debbie, one of my daughters, Debbie said, you know, Peter, she was like in eighth, seventh or eighth grade. She goes, uh, you know, I think, I think you need to be more involved in helping raise her more directly. Like, you know, cause, cause they clashed, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. in a way. And it was, and it was something they worked on a lot. And so I had to learn to be a listening father to a teenage girl, which was, challenging so we did that kind of stuff so so those two things and then uh the third thing was we just would pray we'd get on our face and we'd pray we'd pray the rosy and do whatever for the kids and then plan the schedule for the next 10 days so that's what we would do that is awesome we are here with peter herbick we'll be right back inside the family room in moments sponsored by Versprite on the quest in today's world, cybersecurity is critical for your business. Award-winning Versprite provides solutions to protect your company from hackers. For protection now, see Versprite.com. That's V-E-R-Sprite.com. The Quest thanks Versprite for their support. The Quest presents Pro-Life Minutes. 
Healthcare providers should care about health, right? Why then has Planned Parenthood's actual women's healthcare services dropped over 72% in the last 10 years? Abortion is not healthcare. Abortion kills. Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion provider in the United States with 700 abortion facilities. And in the 2019 fiscal year, they ended 345,672 innocent American lives. This is an increase of 13,000 in the last year and 25,000 over the last two years. To put that in context, that is about half the population of Washington, D.C. Why then does the United States government continue to send the millions of taxpayer dollars in funding and grants year after year? If we don't stop them, no one will. Let's love God by loving life. Show the world that every life matters by speaking up for life at every opportunity. For more homegrown wisdom, visit thequestatlanta.com. Here at The Quest, we often hear how our programs touch hearts and change lives. Now more than ever, people need to hear the truth and beauty of the Catholic faith. As a 100% listener-supported station, The Quest relies on monthly donations to stay on the air. Please consider making a monthly donation to The Quest and help us continue to provide inspiring Catholic programming. Monthly donors are the lifeblood of the station. Visit thequestatlanta.com to donate. Thank you for your support. Hi, this is AJ with The Quest. Did you know that we are on a mission to invite, inform, and inspire listeners like you? We want you to embrace your journey and take one step closer to God by not only listening, but engaging with us. In fact, we could use your help with making this vision a reality. I ask you to prayerfully consider joining us as a missionary to help with volunteer tasks at our studio in Roswell, Georgia. If you feel called to help and would like to learn more, please send us an email at info at thequestatlanta.com. Does your parish, charitable organization, or ministry have an upcoming event that you'd like to promote? Advertise it on AM 1160, the Quest Community Calendar. It's easy and there's never a fee. Just visit thequestatlanta.com, click on events, and submit your activity or event. Enhance the success of your community outreach event. Take advantage of the Quest Atlanta's complimentary community calendar and gain more exposure to the Metro Faith community. Submit your event at thequestatlanta.com today. St. Joseph was a man of few words. In fact, not a single word of his was recorded in Scripture. But the Father of Jesus spoke abundantly in his silence, and he certainly gave us a lot to talk about. Want to go deeper? Listen to the St. Joseph series on your Quest app and on thequestatlanta.com. We're back in the family room, sponsored by Versprite, right here on AM 1160, The Quest. We're talking with Peter Herbeck about his book that he and Debbie wrote, Lessons from the School of Love, cultivating a Christ-centered marriage. Peter, welcome back to the second half here. And as we, we talked about earlier, we'd love to hear about one of your favorite family room memories. Yeah, I, there's a, there's so many that come to mind. I think my in my family of origin, one really jumped out to me. I've never really shared this before, but my family went through, uh, when I was in high school, I one of seven kids, I was second youngest, and the Lord really broke into our family. And we were practicing Catholics, but not, my siblings and I were not engaged very much, at least most of us weren't. And uh, serious conversion came into the house of the Lord, bringing healing to my father, uh, who was an old tank commander from Patton's Third Army, the Battle of the Bulge, and mm. could speak fluent German. He was, you know, was at the liberation of Mauthausen concentration camp. And he, anyway, he was there in the, in the heat of it. And he came back, he had PTSD. But anyway, so he battled alcoholism for years. And then he denied it. Nothing ever worked. And, and through really one of my sisters getting really converted, bringing the Lord more fully into our life, just sharing faith and helping us, the Lord 
came, Lord ended up healing my father. It's a beautiful but too long of a story to tell here. But one of the things we noticed as we were going through this process, our family culture changed and our celebrations like Thanksgiving when everybody would come to town or Easter or whatever, we'd sit up and we'd play card games and do things like a lot of people do. We started talking and, you know, as a family. We started just sharing where we're really at. And we ended up having these long conversations. Well, one night, a couple of us are talking, then one of the other siblings comes in, and it's we're, we're engaged, and we're laughing, and we're crying, and we're sharing. And all of a sudden, we had a lot of nieces and nephews. And then I just noticed that without even thinking about it, the conversation was so intense, we had about about a dozen of the nieces and nephews who just came into the room one by one, mm-hmm. and they're super engaged in just listening to us, sharing our hearts with each other, you know? Mm-hmm. And I just thought to myself, I looked around, it was kind of, it was like 1230 at night and they're super engaged, you know, and they're teenagers and junior high and they didn't want to go to bed. And I just thought, Lord, you're so amazing. You know, like you following you brings change. And we didn't know how to talk about, you know, painful feelings and, you know, issues in the family. And here we are talking about them and laughing and crying and being healed. And the young kids are coming and we didn't even recruit them to come. It was just, we didn't make them come. You know what I mean? It was just amazing amazing moment i'll never forget it it was it was really precious but anyway that's a great memory it is and it's it's such a beautiful visual of generational curses being broken right exactly because like you said you guys hadn't learned how to do that growing up but now you're modeling it for this next generation of the nieces and nephews so they saw it that's so cool yeah 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 you know, when you grow up in a, in that kind of a dysfunction, at times, you, you know, the whole silo reality is yeah. in play. Everybody's living in their own silo. You never talk about the painful stuff. You never say it out loud. You don't want to hurt anybody. So you're all living in stuff. And, and, and we just got help to learn how to open up. And uh, I'm so grateful that they were able to be there. And, and it's, it's, yeah, it's a precious memory. And I, the older I get, it's like, wow, that's actually pretty rare. Yeah. That doesn't happen too often. No, you know? it really yeah. does. So I'm really grateful. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, thank you for sharing that memory. And yeah. uh, in your book, as we've said, Lessons from the School of Love, you have more memories and more stories. But let's start at the beginning. We, you mentioned earlier um, at the first on the first half of the show that that there was a special um, uh, story around the title that you and Debbie chose for this book. Would you break that open for us? Sure. At uh, my daughter Sarah's wedding, she's the oldest. She was the first one to get married. I almost shared a story about that day because that was super precious. But anyway, uh, a friend of ours, a priest, was presiding at it. And one of the readings was 1 Corinthians 13, you know, mm-hmm. the great love. You know, love is patient, love is kind. So he's up there, and the church was packed, and he's up there, and he's reading, you know, love is patient, love is kind. And he goes, yeah, he's kind of reading. He goes, uh, love never fails. And he goes, hmm, it's kind of odd. In my life experience, it, it seems like love fails a lot. <laughs> and the whole place is like... <laughs> <laughs> nice, Where's he going? Nice, nice wedding Where's comment. Where's he going with this, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and then um, he said, he turned to Rick and Sarah, and he said, uh, you know, we know, and we're so delighted to be here with you, um, uh, and we know you love each other, but I want to say something to you. Human love always fails mm. at some point. The one who will never fail is Jesus, and he's here with you today. And as strong as you feel toward one another right now, I just want to tell you, you do not yet know how to love. Mm. Fundamentally, on, a, on the way God's going to, Jesus is going to teach you. You're now entering the school of love today. This is not the culmination. This is the beginning. This is the great adventure. 
Jesus is going to make the kingdom present in your marriage if you let him teach you something you do not know how to do yet. Mm. You know? Yeah. I mean, you, you know it only a certain way. So um, you're going to find the euphoria and the, and the um, you know, the infatuation and the intense emotion that's so wonderful now. Just ride that, walk with it. But some of that's just going to fade in different ways. You know, so he said, but don't ever be afraid of it, you know, and because the Lord's going to teach you. And he, everybody's unique. Every couple's unique. So it's just really great, you know. And I think everybody was taken aback by the way he did it. <laughs> but he was right on. He was absolutely right on, you know. You know, it's like when he first said, oh, gee, you know, it's not my experience. Love kind of fails a lot, you know. It's like, what a buzzkill, man. What are you doing? It's supposed to be in fantasy land, fairy tale land today, you know. But he just said, no, 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 this is real. So it was great. I'm, was sure, really great. I'm sure you were all holding your yeah, breath you like, oh, wait, did he just have his own moment? Is he heading off on some tangent? Because it yeah, just... I know, I know, I know. I know. Yeah. But it's funny. It goes back to what I said earlier about you, Peter. I mean, he spoke the truth. There's a reality, but yet he gave the hope, right? Here's Jesus who can overcome yeah. all of that stuff, which is awesome because, um, you know, I think one of the things in your book, too, I think that's critical. You said it. Maybe you can talk a little bit more about it, though, is I don't think we're taught to go into this with the idea that I'm imperfect, which, I mean, we know, but we're never taught that. But Christ in that sacramental marriage can give us the grace and the strength to do things that we normally couldn't do on our own, which will make it successful. How does yeah. that? How does that happen, though? I mean, what what do what do you and Debbie have to do to let Christ yeah. have that impact? <clears throat> yeah. The um, well, one of the things you know, the concept of uh, living under the lordship of Jesus is not something. It's there in the scripture and it's there in the language, but it's not something people understand that much. You know, like. Um, the idea of making it, I, I'm really subject to his authority. He's going to help me. And sometimes he's going to call me to do stuff I don't want to do, mm -hmm. you know, like my flesh doesn't want to do. For example, yeah. like we, I think I gave it in the book, you, you know, one er, in our first year of marriage at some point, sort of into the first year or something, we, um, I came home and um, Debbie was cooking in the kitchen and I could tell she was distant and I wasn't sure why. And something had happened, but she didn't say it. And, and, and I, I'm like, whatever's going on in here comes out of this thing. You know what I, mean? <laughs> I can and relate. So, and so, and, and she's, she's quiet, she's quieter. And, and, um, and I couldn't get her to respond. And I got mad, you know, I got mad and I, I yelled, you know, I yelled at her, you know, I said, just say something, you know what I mean? And, and, uh, about it. And, and, uh, so we were learning how to communicate in difficult times and how to have a healthy argument, that kind of stuff. We hadn't had any good training on that yet. <laughs> so I just said, forget it. And I walked, I went out for a walk because it was late. And, and, uh, and then she went to bed and I felt, you know, so I go to bed, she was already sleeping when I got back and I woke up early in the morning, do my prayer time. I'm downstairs and I'm feeling pretty good about myself, you know, and doing and praying. And I honestly, I felt like the Lord said, I didn't hear an audible voice, but kind of in my heart, I felt like the Lord said, you can't talk to my daughter any way you want to talk to her. Wow. And it hit me like, wow. Like, and then I kind of felt like, well, wait a minute. She was the problem, not me. You know what I mean? It's like, you know what I mean? And then, and then um, I felt like the Lord said, no, I'm serious. You, you know, like almost like in a minute, I just had this thought like, you need to learn how to have a, a healthy, respectful argument that doesn't go too far mm. in terms of how you relate to her, you know? And, and, um, 
And so I felt like he said, go repent. Hmm. Asked Debbie, and I said, no, it's like <laughs> she should ask me first and then I can do it. You know what I mean? It was her fault, you know? And <laughs> I'm serious. That's exactly what I felt like, you know? And then I honestly, so this idea of there's three people here and we're fo- I'm committed to following him because he's teaching me how to love. Yeah. I'm holding on to it's her fault, you know? And, and, and that wasn't really true. She contributed to it, but it wasn't, I was, I was immature. Mm-hmm. And I felt like, you know, I, I, I'm not, I didn't want to be the one. Why should I be the one when she started it, so to speak, you know? And, um, and so I felt like it was a real, learn- so I did, I went and repented and then she repented to me. And then we, we sat down and said, let's, let's get, we got our three by five cards and said, let's, let's make a decision about how we're going to have arguments. Like number one, if something is wrong, if I've hurt you or whatever, either one, say something, number one. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, and, and we both, she can't do passive-aggressive behavior. I can't do overly-aggressive behavior, mm-hmm. you know, verbally. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, where's, where's the godly mean here? What pleases the Lord? And that was the key because Debbie's, Debbie's at the place and I'm at the place. Even though we don't want to get there, the flesh doesn't want to go there. Like, I want to be right. I want to be the one that's right. And to say, no, you know what we both totally agree on? What's the will of God? What is the, and the Lord wants to teach us how to love and how to handle this. So we wrote like down three or four things. We're going to do it within 24 hours. We're never going to let the sun go down in our anger. You know, like if we can, we're going to, we're going to deal with it before we go to bed, you know, or whatever. And, and those principles were super helpful. And, you know, when you have moments like that, like in prayer, you're saying, wait a minute, is this me? Is this the Lord? And, and you learn to hear the voice of the Lord, like, in your heart. Yeah. And say, you know what, this is a prompting. This is the Lord wanting to help. And I confess to you, there were times where I felt the prompting and I silenced it. Yeah. Really? Because, Lord, I'm not interested right now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, think I, I think I'm getting a sense you want to lead me somewhere I may not want to go. So let's talk about it in a few <laughs> weeks or something. You know what I mean? It's like... Uh, so that, so that, you know what I mean? So that that's letting him be in the marriage and saying, and I really, I did really feel like the the whole future, the whole reality of our marriage and our kids and how it all depends on this. Mm-hmm. Will I listen to him? Yeah. Yeah. And as a father of the family and just saying, I need to lead, like I need to lead. And, and uh, man, I got a lot of stuff in me that, wants to be attended to and want to be right and want to feel right and want to have it my way and all that kind of stuff, you know? So, um, a higher love, a higher calling, a health, sometimes a healthy fear of God, you know, fear of God's a beautiful thing mm-hmm. and it's healthy and all that work. If that's working, it'll save you from a lot of grief, a lot of dumb decisions, you know, a lot of pride, a lot of self-centeredness, you know? So, yeah. Though that story is a, birth, a beautiful picture of the subtitle of your book, Cultivating a Christ-Centered Marriage, because you demonstrated for us exactly yeah. what that looks like. So listeners, if you are just joining us, that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about Lessons from the School of Love, Cultivating a Christ-Centered Marriage with Peter Herbeck. And um, Peter, you made me think of that triangle. That's one of the other uh, images sometimes people say right you the triangle where where Jesus is at the apex of the triangle and we're at the the two p- bottom p- 
pieces. I'm not a good math geometry person. <laughs> I can't remember what they're called, but the other two points of the triangle. But but you look to him first. You know, you went in and let him school you on that conversation or that lack of conversation or that, you know, not very helpful conversation you had had with Debbie the night before. And you two had the conversation before you then went and and worked that out with her. And um, so that's a beautiful lesson right there for us. Were there any other, I know you've got a number of lessons in the book. Is there another lesson from the book that you want to make sure that you touch on for, for us today? I'd say as the kids got older, uh, learning how to um, have an environment where anything can be talked about. And when something like forgiveness needs to happen with a child, mm. uh, you know, sometimes I don't, I don't remember my father, God bless him. I love him. I don't remember my father ever asking forgiveness yeah. other until he got to treatment and we were there where a professional could help him yeah. articulate that. Yeah. And forgiveness and mercy are huge mm-hmm. for a marriage relationship and for a family home. And it can be tough for a dad, man. I'm telling you, sometimes like you just you want to keep everybody on the right track. You want to you, you want to drive them in a way that you know, like motivate them and do things. And and it's not so easy to say, you know, I was wrong. You know, sit down with a child and look him in the eye and say, you know, will you forgive me for the way I just spoke to you? You know, or I spoke to you an hour ago. Mm-hmm. You know, Dad had a point to make that's legitimate, but the way Dad did it is not appropriate. Mm -hmm. You know, would you please forgive me for that? You know, and then uh, a moment of then teaching when it started happening, when they were, had a capacity to grasp it, then they had, those were precious moments to teach them about that. Forgiveness is not a feeling, Yeah. you know, and that I said right now, you know, I remember in a moment with my boys, I said, you know, like right now, boys, I know neither one of you want to forgive me at all. Yeah, You're super mad at me. And the last thing you want to do is let me off the hook. You want to hold, you want, you want to hold the sword over my head for a while yet. Let me feel it. And uh, I said, but you know what, boys, the, the thing is, Jesus wants you to forgive. Why? Because he's forgiven you freely and he wants you to freely forgive. The emotions will come eventually. So it's a decision. So like, you know, to look that in the eye, you know, I ask you to look him in the eye and say, you know, Joshua, will you please forgive me for the way I spoke to you, you know? And it's not like, no, it's no problem. No, I say, Dad, you know, I forgive you, mm. you know? Yeah. And then um, and then I received the forgiveness and then gave me a hug and a kiss. And I remember at one point I did it with one of my boys and said, okay, now give Dad a hug. I'm going to hug you. And he just, he was there limp. He refused to, like, <laughs> give a real hug. And he just was like, he's like, he just couldn't do it. You know, he said, come on, son, give Dad a real hug. You know, just ask God for help, you know. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so moments like that, I think, are precious. And that was a moment of saying, teaching them by an action to say, Dad, why am I doing this? Because the Lord mm-hmm. is calling me to take responsibility for my behavior and to repent. And I don't want to do this either. You know what I mean? On a certain level. Yeah. And, and, but I want to obey him. That's our only shot, boys. This is it. This is the, this is the only way we're going to become who God wants us to be or what we dream to be, you know? Yeah. So, and so anyway. No, very intentional. It's again, mm-hmm. it was a theme on our show that intentionality is the key to all the success. And yeah. one of the things that um, I wanted to bring out is uh, we keep going here. Chapter five, you make a really big deal about helping our children encounter Christ. And you gave practical example just then and there, right? It wasn't just the apology, but it's bringing Christ in. But you articulate also, um, 
on your YouTube videos and everything else, the world is trying to stop us from encountering Christ and trying to stop our kids from doing it. As a parent, do you have practical advice or wisdom on how we can help our kids encounter Christ? Yeah, for sure. Again, going back to my, my upbringing, years after my, this healing happened to my family, I, my dad and I were talking, and I said to dad, not in any kind of judgment, I said, you know, I never had one single conversation for all the way through high school with a man, with a Catholic man in my hometown about Jesus, not one single mm -hmm. conversation. And I wasn't mad or angry, but I said, but, you know, guys, do you see how it's just not healthy? It's, it's not working. How do they come to know the Lord if you're not able to share what's in your heart? So um, so I'd say, you know, it goes from we, we were committed knowing that our kids are going to not j just need for us to be able to talk openly about Jesus in our home and have family prayer and stuff like that but that they were going to need some conversion moments in their life that were outside the house that were with the right people. And they might, you know, when they're in seventh grade, have a moment that really opens them up and gets them moving. But guess what? They become a ninth grader two years later and the whole world can be changed by that time oh, sure. in their life and experience and development. So you need uh, to encourage. So we did camps, we did mission trips. We, we brought, people in front of them like we had young people living in our household over the years you know like we'd have two or three people living with us that we were mentoring or whatever and they're working and and these were young people who love the lord and our kids they were only like five six seven years older than my kids and the fact that they listened to us they loved being with us and loved our leadership our kids would see it, it would kind of, they'd be carrying them in their way. Cause look, teenagers don't always want their parents' leadership, right? Yeah, they don't, yeah. so, for sure. And so, so they did, they ended up having an impact. So converted people living in our house. So there's just a lot of different ways. We wanted to expose them to a living Christianity, mm -hmm. you know, that's engaging. There's a study I refer to in the book by Christian Smith, who's the great cat, a, a sociologist at Notre Dame. And he did this epic study the biggest study ever done, and you can get this on YouTube and your listeners can as well. Uh, in uh, January of 2020, just a month and a half before COVID broke out, he spoke at Yale and he, he, he had taken, I think, 3,500 people from the age of, young people from the age of 13 to 17 through the arc of their life. A study is done from that age to through high school, through college, marriage, career, starting family, how many people made the arc from that age when they were in Christian families, at least nominally Christian families, to where they themselves now are disciples raising disciples? And he said this study, and he's a very famous guy, he said, we've never had any data as clear as this in terms of, and the title of his talk was, he's talking to all these professionals and experts, he said, parents are the pastors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And he said, statistically, nothing comes close to the influence of the parent in terms of the arc of conversion and becoming disciples in a child's life. And they said, surprisingly, three things stood out on this study. They had a, they had a breakdown. So of the top quadrant, top 25% of those that made the arc, where they're actually discipling their own children, now living in their own families, were, were three things. He said 81% in the top quadrant shared these. Number one, mom and dad both had a living faith, essentially, right? And um, 
And then they went to church, they expressed that they went to church every Sunday in some fashion, whether Catholic or Protestant. Uh, number two, um, the family not only went to church every week and it was part of their family culture, but number two, uh, the family engaged in mission mission work outside of the church itself, like soup kitchens or whatever. It kind of gave a sense that this has a purpose. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's a purpose for others, number two. And number three, he said, this is by far the biggest thing. He said, cross-generational uh, cross um, family spiritual conversations, like spiritual conversations that happen that were age-specific, any questions possible in the family, anything you want to say about faith, and carrying on those conversations, he said those three things are the most impactful things we've ever seen in terms of sociological study of how a young person both meets the Lord, grows, sustains, and becomes a leader in their own life. So I, when I read that study, I listened to it, and I thought to myself, this is super encouraging. Yeah. This is not, yeah. this is simple. It's hard. But it's easy. You know, it's hard, but it's not complicated. Sure. You know what I mean? You don't have to be a theologian. And he said, you know, schools and youth ministries and all that. He said, I'm not criticizing. You all have a contribution to make. You're supporting it. But what the key thing is when the parent's heart is sold out mm -hmm. for the Lord and the parents are living with the Lord together and they're bringing their children into it and engaging it in a meaningful way. So. In addition to praying for our listeners, would you have any last words of encouragement, either from the perspective of to a dad or to a mom individually? Yeah, two things I'd like to do is just one, I'd like to, I always love to challenge dads to not be afraid to be the leader, to be a spiritual leader in your home. Yeah. You know, to, it, often it gets get, gets given to the wife, the mother um, and that kind of thing. So no, get into it. You may feel uncomfortable the Lord loves you, brother. You're called. You, you, there's a great adventure he wants you to live that you may have not discovered yet. And you feel like you're out of water in the spiritual world. Jump into the water, even if it's shallow, and start moving. The Lord's going to help you, and you're going to be amazed at how, how happy you are you made that decision. So I think that's critical. Number two, don't be afraid of your brokenness. Mm. Continue to seek healing in your life. There's not a human being on the planet that's not broken in some way. So keep growing at becoming healthy. Don't hide your brokenness. Don't hide your wounds. Get help where you need it. Keep going. I, I'm in our 60s. Debbie and I did a wonderful retreat uh, just recently, a year and a half ago with Bob Schutz down in the, and the guys down in Florida, the John Paul II Healing Center. Fantastic yep. moment. So anyway, so there we go. Those two things I think are really on my heart. So That's great. That's and we yep. will put links to some of the, these resources that you mentioned in our show notes as well. Um, Peter, we have loved having you. Would you please bless us by um, saying a prayer for us and our listeners? Sure. Let's pray in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the gift of your beloved Son, Jesus, who we are thrilled and fascinated for. We thank you, Lord, that marriage is your idea and that we don't have to be afraid of our brokenness or afraid of the culture or afraid of the devil or whatever, because your son, Jesus, is living with us in the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray for every listener that you bring healing, hope, and transformation to their personal lives and their marriage. And please bless this radio station and this wonderful ministry that would spread all over the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Peter, thank you again. And thank you, dear listeners, as well, for joining us here in the family room. Please join us again here next week where we offer hope, encouragement, truth, and wisdom for families. Thanks for hanging out with us in the family room, sponsored by Versprite. For more info, go to thequestatlanta.com.